Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. portion of scripture, kind of taking it as a, as a theme for the month of uh, January, and it's found in Revelation chapter number three, and uh, basically what the Lord is uh, telling uh, this church at Sardis is uh, he's revealing truth to them, and um, he points out some things that are very important for them to know that Really, from what they appear, uh, is they appear alive, but yet really he says to them, really, you're dead, though. And uh, that's kind of been our theme here about to strengthen what remains. And uh, we've already looked at uh, a few different things about uh, what all that means. But uh, let's look at our text here, Revelation 3, 1 through 3, and then uh, we'll give you a a thing here this morning about what we're going to talk about. But uh, it says here, Revelation 3, 1 through 3, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And the truth is, is this church was very deceived. The people at this church were very deceived. They had the appearance of being alive, but yet they were dead. And he tells them to strengthen what remains and is about to die. And these areas that we've been kind of looking at uh, here for the month of January, these are, I think, areas in all of our lives, mine included, where I think we all become very complacent or apathetic um, in our Christian life. And um, some of the things that we've already covered, uh, we've already talked about how important it is that uh, we are worshiping. Uh, We dealt with that a a few weeks ago. Um, Last week, we talked about uh, how important it is that we are listening to truth. Um, You know, a lot of us, sometimes we hear a lot of things, but do we actually really listen to truth? Um, Very first week, we covered about our confession, confession of sins, and how important it is that we are confessing our sins. And... um, This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that truth. And as I said last week, about listening to truth and from what we're going to look at uh, this morning about truth, they go hand in hand. Um, So it's important that not only we are listening to truth, but then we're also actually living in truth and we are exercising that truth and we're dwelling uh, in truth. And so we're going to look at what truth is, what it is, and uh, do we desire it? And... um, Sad to say, I think there are many Christians today that desire tradition over truth. Uh, Sometimes I think uh, many Christians have traded truth for a lie. Uh, That could be because of just the way our cultural shift has happened and uh, people find it more easier to go along with what the culture says than actually stand for truth. 
Um, there could be worldly influences. Um, and then also, I, I think also that uh, many times as, as believers in Christ, we may not desire truth or, or shy away from truth because it exposes the darkness that's really in our hearts. And so it's important that we are um, keeping truth and we're listening to truth and we're abiding in truth and we're dwelling in truth. Interesting enough, a survey was given in 1991 about absolute truth. This is a Barna uh, research survey. The survey was conducted among Christians and non-Christians, and the interviewees were asked this question. Do you agree strongly, agree somewhat, disagree somewhat, or disagree strongly with the following statement? There is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. Only 28% of the non-Christians, okay, so the group that they asked, the non-Christian group, 28% of them express strong belief in absolute truth, that there is such a thing as absolute truth, and uh, it's not my truth and your truth, and, you know, we have these different ways. So 28% of non-Christians said that uh, there is absolute truth. But of the Christians asked this question, only 23% of born-again or evangelical Christians accepted this idea that there is absolute truth. That's staggering. 23% of Christians, when asked about if they believe in absolute truth, they actually said yes. Now, this is a study done in 1991. So what does that tell us? It tells us that there's a lot of people that are deceived in this world. It tells us that there are people that claim the name of Christ or name the name of Christ that really don't believe in truth. That somehow maybe what I believe, even though it might be different, you know, it's all going to work out some way somehow. So it's important that uh, we know what truth is and that we do believe it because here's this church at Sardis and he says you have the reputation of being alive but you are dead. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Truth never changes. I need to know truth and pursue it. Truth never changes. I need to know truth and pursue it. So let's take note here, first of all, what is truth? The message Jesus had to this church at Sardis was that you're alive, but really you're dead. I wonder what that church thought about truth. I wonder if that church thought that they were living in truth or dwelling in truth. I wonder maybe if they thought to themselves, hey, we are right on track and we pursue after truth. Because they had the reputation of being alive, but really they were dead. Perhaps they were, no, were the church in town as the very, being the very biblical church or uh, that church that stands for truth. Perhaps truth was only something they cared about when it was convenient for them. I'm not sure, but as believers in Christ, do we understand the importance of truth for the Christian life? In Ephesians 6, we're reminded that as believers, we are to be putting on the belt of truth. 
Uh, in fact, the truth is what holds everything together. It, it buckles everything together. And, and in fact, really, Jesus is the truth. And so we put on Jesus Christ the truth, should be putting on the truth every single day. And having truth allows us as believers to be ready for battle against the enemy. The thing about putting on the belt of truth is the foundation of truth is the gospel. So what do you mean by that? Well, I mean the fact that the gospel, it it centers in Jesus who is the embodiment of truth. Everything that Jesus says about himself, everything that he reveals about himself, about why he came, what he did for us, um, and how he changes our lives, all of that is uh, summed up in Jesus' life. And we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, or should be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ every morning. So if we're going to be followers of truth and not just merely having a facade of pursuing after truth... First, we need to answer the question, what is truth? Here in John 18, 37, actually, Pilate puts that question forward to Jesus. This is Jesus before he is going to be taken out and crucified. And Pilate has this interesting conversation with him. And Jesus here tells him, he says, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus' assertion shows that there is an identifiable body of knowledge that may be labeled as truth or the truth, the only truth. There's not many truths, only one truth. And that Jesus himself testified to it. So what do we know about what truth is? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, God is the truth. God is the truth. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines truth as conformity to fact or reality. Something is true if it is conformable to an essential reality. Thus, truth does not refer to our subjective perceptions of reality, but to what really exists external to ourselves. Example, even though I may perceive that 2 plus 2 is 5, is that really the truth? No. I can can think about it, and I can imagine it, and I can perceive all kinds of things. But the truth is still the truth, that 2 plus 2 is 4. Even though I may have different perceptions of reality, I'm not really living in reality. And I think that's really the the pandemic of everything that we see what's happening in our world today, right? People that are living outside of reality, they're not really living within reality of what is factual and what is true. Right? People wanting to uh, do all kinds of things, and they will not live within reality. And so, what is truth? Well, God is truth. God is the truth. Since God is the only essential reality in the universe, He is truth and the standard for all truth. Jesus referred to Him as the only true God in John 17, 3. 
If he is the only eternal self-existent being, then he is the truth, the only unchanging reality in the universe. He cannot lie is what Titus 1-2 teaches us. And so God is the truth. God is truth. And I find it interesting that there's a lot of people in our world today that don't want to begin with truth. Right? They want to begin with a perception or what they think. But if we really want to know exactly what is true, we have to begin with God because from him stems all truth. He is truth. Secondly, truth is stable, firm, and reliable. In our culture, we have this changing truth. Does truth change? It does not. Now, we may have, for example, um, I forget which, uh, which planet it is. Is it, uh, is it uh, Uranus, the, the planet that they, that they said it was a planet, but now they realize that it, what, it's not a planet? Is that the one? Pluto. Okay, thank you. All right. So we have this thing. People may say, well, look, see, truth changed. No, it didn't change. Okay. Um, it's the fact of our understanding of that changed, okay? It's still always a thing. Uh, in fact, if you would have lived back in the uh, 1700s, um, if you were sick, they'd probably take you to a barber, and what would they do? They'd bleed you out, right? Okay. Now, is that healthy for you? Is that good? No, it's not, okay? It's not the fact that truth has changed, it's the fact of our understanding of the human body and understanding what God actually has said in his word, that the life of the flesh is in the blood, right? So truth never does change. It's stable, it's firm, it's reliable. A constant theme in God's word is his faithfulness to his covenant, the thing that, that he promises us and he tells us he's always faithful to what he has already promised. And as the God of truth, we can put full confidence in his word, in the New Testament, Paul often uses truth to refer to the gospel message itself. In Ephesians 1.13, he says, And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And so for both Paul and Jesus, the truth often refers to correspondence between word and deed. The fact that he says, this is true, and I'm going to show you that it's true because I keep my promises. I always keep my promises. I'm faithful in keeping my promises. Don't trust in man, right? Because man will fail you. But trust in God, right? Because he is always true. He never changes. We can always trust in him and in his word. Thirdly, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's truth. Look, listen to John 1.14. It states of Jesus, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus took upon Himself flesh and dwelt among us here on the earth, he was the embodiment of truth. It says that he was full of grace and truth. 
Everything that he spoke was true. Everything that he did was a testimony of, the, of, the, of how truthful God is and what God says. Everything. And so he's the embodiment of that. In John uh, 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. In John 18, 37, Jesus claimed that his reason for coming to this earth was to testify to the truth. Jesus claimed uh, to speak the truth in John 8, 45 and verse 46. He prayed in John 17, 3, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if we want to know the truth, we must come to know God through the one who was the embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus, you really don't know what truth is. Sure, you may have a perception of truth, but you really don't know truth because you don't know Christ. And you haven't come to know truth because you haven't come to God through Jesus Christ. Fourthly, God's word is his revelation of truth. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Paul referred to the Bible and its central message, the gospel, as the word of truth in 2 Timothy 2.15. So if we have any deviation from God's word, then that means that we are no longer in truth. We're in error. This is where I find it so interesting that you know we have page upon page upon page upon page of the truthfulness of God's word. And so it's not that people don't know that there's truth, it's the fact that they choose to ignore the truth. They're choosing to reject the truth. But we have truth, and it is God's word, and it's his revelation of truth. You know, you think about the way that God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself through nature. I mean, we can look outside and we can see the grass and we can see all the, the animals and we can see all the, the insects and we can see the beauty in it, right? Um, we were, I think this maybe a couple weeks ago, we were on our way driving over here um, and my wife Jamie pointed out, she said, look at the, uh, there was some weeds, okay? <laughs> there were weeds, but yet... Because the weeds were dried and they were dead, but yet there was crystals that had formed on them, some frost, and the way that the sunlight was hitting those weeds, and because the weeds were kind of a brownish color, it almost made them glitter like gold. There's beauty in that, right? And God has revealed himself through things like that. But how has God chosen specifically to reveal himself through his word? In Hebrews, it tells us in uh, Hebrews chapter 1 that uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the old days that God spoke to us through prophets. But now today, in the latter times, he has chosen to reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the exact imprint of God's nature. 
and what Jesus said about things, they're true, and God has revealed to us his truth uh, throughout his word. I'd say today in many churches today, there's a rejection of truth, a revelation of truth, um, where it's more in the fact that instead of giving out truth and teaching truth, it's more of story time. Right? We go to, go to church, we have story time, and we tell the stories, and we bring in a, com- a comedian, and we make, make us all laugh and feel good, right? That's not revelation of truth, right? God wants to speak to us, and he does speak to us, and he speaks to us uh, through his word. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor and Bible teacher, had this to say about truth. The truth can be defined, it can be stated in propositions, a statement or assertion that expresses judgment or opinion. That is what we find in these epistles. It teaches clearly that you must therefore say that any other teaching is wrong and you must condemn it. The New Testament argues the New Testament is polemical. The Apostle Paul uses very strong language. He says that some people believe a lie, that there are false teachers, and he warns people to flee from them. And so if we're going to walk in truth, we're going to listen to truth, we're going to believe truth, there can't be other truths. There's only one truth. And anything else that does not line up with the word of God is false, and it is in error. And so we have to stick with God and his word. Fifthly, God and his word of truth are absolutely true in every culture and in every age. This is so important. There's a lot of things that we look at in God's word that might be culturally uh, different. For example, uh, it tells us to greet each other with a holy kiss. Did anybody get a holy kiss this morning? Okay, now, we may not go around kissing everybody, but what are some things that we do today culturally that may show affection towards the body of Christ? Could be a hug. Could be a handshake, right? Um, there's, There's different ways that we do that. But the truthfulness of God's word never does change. For example... The moral commandments of God's word. Why is it wrong to murder? Because God is life, right? Why is it wrong to lie? Because God is truth. So everything about who God is, his character, his makeup, all of his commandments stem from that. And so because God never changes, that means what? His truth never changes. And it always stays the same. It's true in every culture and in every age. The gospel consists of truth about who we are in God's sight, sinners that have rebelled against him. It consists of truth about who Jesus is, the sinless Son of God, who took on human flesh through the virgin birth, who lived a sinless life. He lived among us. He performed miracles. Uh, The fact that he went to a cross and he paid our sin debt. He took God's wrath on our behalf. He was buried and he resurrected himself from the grave. That's all truth. That's things will never change. And that truth is available to every generation. 
And that truth has changed lives, countless lives, from every generation. Uh, There was one pastor who used to say, Jesus Christ is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Right? Uh, We hear about how Christ and his truth and the gospel has changed lives from people that are in uh, uh, foreign, distant lands that may not have any sense of... of, uh, of understanding of, of uh, like how things work to people that are very prominent and have degrees and, and uh, very sophisticated, right? God can change lives because his truth never changes and uh, we have it. So we must hold firmly to the idea of God and his word is absolutely true in every culture, every age. John MacArthur said this, Since God is truth, a contempt for truth is equally a contempt for God. So if we do not hold on to truth, if we do not walk in truth, if we do not desire truth, because God is truth, then really we have a contempt for God. So it's very important that we hold on to truth. Here's the second thing. Do I desire truth? This is really the important question. Here's this church at Sardis. They had the appearance of being alive, but yet really they were dead. Do I desire truth? Do I pursue after truth? Do I desire truth? And since Jesus is the embodiment of truth, the real question that I really need to ask then is, do I pursue after Christ? Do I desire Christ? What he says, what he commands, his desire for me to follow him, to know him, to be led by him through his word. Do I desire to be changed by him through his word? Do I desire for his word to interact with my heart and show me truth and life and the power of a resurrected life? You see, God has chosen to reveal himself to us through his written word. We touched a little bit on this last week about spending time in the word And there is only one truth, not many truths, right? Popular one that we hear, I think, today is, well, that's my truth, right? Only God is true, but if we want to know truth, then we have to dwell in his word. So how do I come to desire his word? How do I come to desire truth? Well, really, it's a, it's a checking of the heart. Turn with me over to uh, Psalm 24 real quick. Psalm 24. Psalm 24, we have uh, David writing some things here. And uh, here in uh, verses 3 and 4, he tells us some interesting stuff here. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So these, these two verses here, they, they cover about our conduct and motivation, our attitude, and our priority in life, right? I mean, look at it again. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. 
who does not lift up his soul to what is false. So we have to do an inward heart check, right? We got we to gotta look inside and we got to say, okay, am I really desiring God's truth or do I desire things that are false? You see, everything that goes contrary to the word of God is false. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I desiring truth? Am I wanting to walk in truth? Do I want truth? Do I, do I want to, God's word to change me? We've got, we got to do that inward heart check. Now, I can't do that for you. None of the other elders here can do that for you. Only you and you alone can do that. You can do that inward heart check. Do I desire truth? To meet these qualifications, uh, Psalm 51.6, it requires truth in the inward parts. Meaning truthfulness, the true, who God is, what he says, what we believe has to be on the inward parts. It's not just something that we just say that we associate with. Like, you know, I come to church and so therefore I associate with truth. No. It has to be on the inward parts. Now, the, the description that, that David gives there about the inward parts, this actually goes back to the Old Testament sacrifices. When they would bring the sacrifice there, the priest would check in all throughout that sacrifice. Because, yeah, the outward, it may look okay, but he wanted to do an inward inspection. And he would go in and he would feel and he would touch and he would look completely to make sure that that sacrifice was completely and wholly acceptable unto God. And so we really have to ask ourselves this question, with desiring truth, is there an inward inspection where God has searched the inward parts of us? And he knows that there's truth that dwells in there. Or is it just the facade? Is it just the association? Is it just having the appearance of being alive, but really dead? It's important for us to dwell in truth, and we got to have truth. Now, maybe you're at a place in your life where, you know, you might be spiritually dry, and it just seems like, man, I just, I just can't get over this, right? What I, would, what I would recommend to you is to pray to God, talk to him, and, and be honest to him about it. Just say, God, it just seems like I'm in a spiritually dry place here, and I want to desire truth. Give me the desire, right? Do you think that that's a prayer that God would answer? To give you the desire for truth? Absolutely. And I believe that once we, once we get to that place where we begin to desire it, that God will fill us and use us and, and speak to us and give us that truth. And so we have to desire that truth. So here's something about dwelling in truth. If we want to know truth, then we have to dwell in his word. To dwell means to make your home in it. It's what dominates your thoughts or attitudes. It governs your life, has the most influence on you. God gives us plenty of truth in the scriptures. Do you know there's 1,189 chapters in the Word of God? 
Now, uh, last week, uh, Jerry gave us a whole breakdown. I can't even remember everything, but he gave us this whole breakdown. You know, if you spend this much time, you do this much time. Okay, I can't remember all of it, okay, but 1,189 chapters, and if we just took one chapter per day, one chapter per day, and wrote down all the truths about God and our relationship with Him that is revealed to us, it would take us more than three years to get through the Bible. But that is three whole years of truth that's being given to you. Think of how much stuff that gets pumped into our minds through our ear gate, through our eye gate, that is not truth. A lot. It's kind of like we just take up, we just get the uh, septic uh, tube, we're like, hook it right up, you know? Start pumping it in, right? That's not good for us. So we need to be desiring truth, dwelling in truth. Listen to what Paul says here in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, notice this, in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and to what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. God wants us to know. God wants us to know Him. God wants us to know truth. God wants us to know what truth is. But we have to be dwelling in the Word of God. And sometimes, you know, when we study God's Word, there's things that we don't understand, and that's okay. But I have found that the more time that you spend in the Word, more of that truth will be revealed to you. But you've got to spend time in the Word of God. Of God. Notice the emphasis on the things revealed. He says, We can know them. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What is the hope to which God has called you? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Right? These are things God wants us to know. And that comes to us by dwelling in the Word of God. And once I begin dwelling into the truth, I'm searching out truth, just like a miner goes in to dig out the ore. He walks in there and he, he begins digging and digging and more and more and more, and he's taking more and more out. That's exactly what God's Word does for us. Sure, there's things that when you begin reading God's Word, it might be like you're just kind of walking through the field and you're picking up nuggets, and those are great. But God wants us to get in there and begin digging and digging and digging and bringing out that truth so that truth can change us. You want to make sure that you're in truth and you're dwelling in truth because that truth is what changes our hearts. I love what Paul says here, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. God wants to change us. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to change us through his truth. But we have to desire it. We have to walk in it. We have to want it. And when we desire it, we want it, and we're walking in it, his truth will change us. 
That's the whole thing of 2 Corinthians 3.18. How do we change from what we were to what we need to be? We're over here, but we need to be over here. It's a day-to-day change. God's changing us through the working of his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we yield our lives over to him, moment by moment, from degree to degree. You see all that throughout the whole New Testament, right? Put off these things, put on these things. What things? The things that are true, the things that God's word says that we need to be doing. And that's a desire that God, I believe, will work in our lives if we, if we pray to him and we ask him, God, I want this for my life. And will you work this in my heart? So do you desire truth? Is truth inside of you? Do you believe God's word that it has power to change your life? God's word says all those things are true. So let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.